0: Gonna just continue to talk about how Rob Stone is not a human being. He's not. He, no, he's, we, he's, we. He's of another another planet. We another deemed
1: world. him the manimal. The manimal. The part man, part animal. The manimal.
2: <laughs> That's appropriate. Yes.
1: Uh. That.
0: All right. So the clock has struck nine. It must be Monday. I uh, hope everyone is all set for our ten minute rant on black box and how awesome they are. Because Patrick requested
1: it. He did. He said, Tell us about each model cage yep. by
0: cage. Let's start smallest to biggest and go up from there. Uh, it is Monday. This is Snakes and Stogies episode 181, uh, which is brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Use code THN at checkout. Save yourself a little bit of money. Get a rack, get a cage. We'll keep it brief. So we dare not upset people. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, give them a follow. There's a giveaway still going on that is ending on the 30th. Go hop on it. Check it out. Uh, apparel.com Also use the code THN at checkout. Save 15%. That is just for THN listeners and viewers like you. Uh, got some orders going out tomorrow.
1: Dude, the what Pariahs is, is sick. What's, what's love Billy the Pariahs logo.
0: What Jenkins, Billy Jenkins,
1: 181,
0: 181, 181 bro. I don't, I don't get it. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a, oh a zip code or something.
1: Dude, Billy Jenkins is our hype man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, still have to add hoodies, haven't, haven't again, have not gotten that far. So, uh, I got a prize hoodie because this was the tester for this particular model. Uh, to see how well it would print and hold up in the wash and it is held up perfectly so we will Excellent. continue on that route uh, if there's a particular design that you guys want to see on a hoodie cuz I'm kind of having a hard time deciding I am limited on colors as far as hoodie options so got to keep that in mind
1: well uh, that pariahs color is spot on bro
0: yeah this one actually is it's a little it's a little lighter than than what i was furring it should have been a little greener so i gotta tweak the file a little bit but
1: yeah but i like that that mint color that mint green it's good
0: it's more like a pistachio if we're gonna get yes pista- yes pistachio Z- hands down but uh yeah um i mean just gotta figure out what designs we want to do probably the obsoleta one is likely gonna gonna be a hoodie uh, the issue with these is I'm sort of limited on space, especially on the front, because of this pocket. So, the really like tall designs uh, mm. likely no go. Will not be on the hoodies. So, um, Rhino Rat hoodie, yes, absolutely. That's that's a given. The stop it hoser on a hoodie thing. That's uh, that it's, was it's dangerous. We'll, we'll see. I it's don't dangerous. know. I don't think it's dangerous because again like it's not talking about a particular person hoser is a is a is canadian slang so it
1: is very much so wisconsinite
0: mm, yeah there you go
1: hosers where's Jake? Right. where's shake uh, um what i think you could do is just as a tester the the uh, what do you i want to call them saddles the, the the saddle logos you know alterna okati subocularis put that on the on the on the breast of the hoodie because it's narrow yeah. enough that it won't affect uh, affect the pocket. You
0: yeah, and that? I mean, there's still a solid, like, yeah, it, you know, 10 inches of, of workable space. It's just with, like, the Crotalus Bleed American design. Like, that's yeah, a really yeah. long one, so that one won't work as well. Yeah, um, the
1: Pichiofus is really long.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So stuff more. We want stuff that's a little more squared off. Um, But I can still put them on the back, but the issue is, if it's a hoodie, the hood's going to cover up most of that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Jason Keller wants to know when the Malpolon design is coming out.
0: Um, I'm with him, man. mm
2: -hmm. Zach Loafman wants to know when the false water cover design is coming out. Yes. Zach Loafman is responsible for getting you the picture.
0: I've actually had... I've had a handful of people ask about a falsy design, and it's... I got you, man. At the top of the list, just hasn't happened yet, so...
2: That's partly my fault.
0: I just, like, I want to... I'm trying to diversify and do more invert and non-snake related stuff, like diversify. Yeah. But it's really yeah. hard when like there's so many cool species I want to do stuff for. Yeah. But falsies are definitely at the top of the list. That might be a, a weekend project coming up here cool, soon. Cool. I've got picks. Yeah. Like I used Jake's for the for the obsolete <clears throat> shirt. Jake had a really good yellow rat picture and that was the big cool. one at the bottom of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Looks really I good. think uh, for the Malpilon, you should do a silhouette of the Mediterranean, like just the sea, like no landmass, then do like a snake design in the middle. And then same how Doc has like the university logo, just do Malpilon, like established, you know, whenever. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, like what? Who uh, what was it uh, uh, Gunther or Cope or whoever described it? Mm-hmm. Do, do Malpilon across the top, like established, you know, 1842 or whatever. I think that would be cool.
0: That would be pretty nerdy and wonderful. Very nerdy. Love it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're embracing the, the nerdiness with all the Fulvia stuff. Yes. Wow.
1: And speaking of nerds, the best nerds in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're here in the chat right now. The Gendra. The Puget Sound Pythons.
0: Facebook, Instagram. Give them a follow and then go on Morph Market and give them a follow there as well. Uh, if you know, assuming they haven't hidden the follow button somewhere where you cannot find it anymore, whoa, whoa, whoa. um, more it's, it's more far. It's just getting weird. It's just getting odd. Like I want to look at pricing for a plan. If you know, I end up having to post some snakes and like just hunting down the pricing area to figure out how much it is month to month for the different plans was way harder than it should have been. It's like that should be at the at the header of that website, but.
1: It's neither here yeah. nor there
0: yeah they
1: want committed people man they don't want just anybody
0: apparently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. find that after i throw the ring in the volcano uh, <laughs> see, oreo cryptophus porphyrasius uh so i was actually working on a conspic design let us think this but i have not come back to that that was something i was working on a, a couple weeks ago so
1: rock and roll and are you partaking in a delicious caffeinated beverage this evening? Of course. Of course.
0: Good oh. old good old white monster.
1: Not the sponsor I was thinking of. Oh.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, are you and you know I am. But... <laughs> no. No.
1: No. I, well I thought you'd be having that that Panera bread lemonade that Casey was talking about, but no. Like uh, yeah, Sign right. Sign me up. Sign me up for that Panera. 390 lemonade.
0: milligrams of caffeine. Ooh. Oh
1: yeah. Uh it was six yes, days. <laughs> if you're watching this and it's your morning, or you're just a sick sadistic freak who loves to watch us caffeinated, go check out cold blooded caffeine.
0: Use the link in the description. We get a little something something for that. But
1: we're very close to announcing very our coffee related surprise. I mean, let's be real, it's coffee. You, guys, you, know, you know it's going to be coffee. We're not talking about it yet. We're not going to tell you the blend. We're not going to tell you the flavor, the aromas, the notes, if you will. We're not even going to tell you what the bag looks like. But stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. Because you'll want to buy a bag. You'll want to squeeze that bag and get that fragrance to flow out into your nostrils. Almost as if you had your very own Jacobson's organ. Stand by.
0: <laughs> you went there.
1: I did. Like, I, had I do. <laughs> I want to
0: have Trey send me just an empty bag for me to, I can just put some like bubble wrap in it or something to have here with, you know, in the little, little knickknack area. Well,
1: just, just you can, you can, you can just seal up the bag when you're done eating the coffee, eating the coffee and <laughs> drinking the coffee.
0: <laughs> At this point, that's probably what I might as well start doing. You're shoveling grinds. <laughs> just eating them or snorting them directly. Yeah. Right. Oh God. Yeah.
1: Anyway uh we're joined tonight by a very special guest smithy would you like to introduce our very special guest you know people I mean, probably I'm already know a man his man who
0: needs no introduction i know i know crawdaddy the face alone phone. the crawdaddy mm-hmm. hi y'all silver fox beard he's got going on it, it it's weird
2: it it turned silver in the past year i don't know what i think about that but it is I
0: what it is some, i've got white hairs creeping in here and there Katie mm-hmm. likes to point them out to me all the time. She's like, there's
1: another gray one. I'm like, yeah, it's because yeah. of you. You can use it as an excuse to your employers that it's a stress-related thing.
2: It probably yeah. is a stress-related thing.
1: <laughs> Look at what you're doing. I, I didn't
2: yeah. I didn't have this before they made me a department chair. Um problems that I had were my problems, but now that I'm Department head. Everybody's problems are my problems.
1: Very true. I was, I yeah, thought you were so. going to say it was before you started writing books.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, the book was my way of dealing with becoming the department head. Mm. <laughs> I got to run away to my nerdy little island of Xenodontine snakes. And I don't think there's a more nerdy island than the island of Xenodontine snakes.
1: There so. is. Oh, yes. There. Yes. That's it. That's it. That's the one. Yeah.
0: How's that been, uh, how's that been going? Has Russ sold out yet?
2: Um, we are very close. We would be sold out, except for both Russ and I can't count. <laughs> and, and we were kind of convinced that we were out of the hardbacks. And then we realized, oh, crap, there's like another case and maybe another case. So the sign and numbers are done. Like the first hundred. Yeah. Uh They now, granted, we're still working on getting all of them out. Yeah. See, Phil got one. Uh, but, um, there are still hardbacks left and we have, a, a, a we have probably 150 to 200 softbacks left. He went awesome. heavy on the softbacks and went, we didn't order that many hardbacks, but a, a lot of people are, are, you know, they'll buy the hardback and then they do what I do, which is you've got to have two copies because you've got to have the one that you utterly demolish and then the one you keep on your bookshelf. Yes. Yes. So I'm I'm learning I'm you know there's quite a few uh there's definitely a subculture of herpetoculture that collects books the way we collect snakes. Not that you guys don't collect books. I mean, I have I have a ton of
0: books. Yes. I don't collect books as much as Phil what? does, but it's it's mostly because I just don't have anywhere to put them. Like yeah. I oh, have no, them piling up, up. up in my in my closet right now you may there's some that i bought years ago that i haven't even cracked open and read yet no i i have three or four offices so
2: i got plenty of places to shove books and there are books in all of them
1: well and then you you kind of get like me where you try to get the hard copy for the collection and then the soft copy (laughs) for you to demolish right read in bed bring in the field what have you but certain books you just can't do that with so like no it took me a solid five years to find uh, Edition chimeras reptiles and land of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I finally, I paid like $300 for it, which I had to do it. And I find myself reading it at the kitchen table because I can lay it flat like, a, like I, cause I really don't have a, a work desk and I'm reading it at the kitchen table and I'm turning the pages like, with tweezers. Well, no, no, like, like, uh, like Philbert in, um, Rocco's modern life. You turn the page, you wash your hands, you yes. turn the page, you wash your hands. And, uh, that's what I, that's what I did with Dr. Lopin's book. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> trying to try to keep it creaseless. <laughs> mm-hmm. No,
2: I I have I have a lot of books. In fact, I have a bunch on my desk right now. I'm trying to get um, first or second printings of all of Caulfield's books, and and this is one. Now, granted, it's you know it's kind of everything's backwards here, so this is kind of old. But this is a 1937 printing wow of snakes nice. and their ways. Awesome. So I just got this one last week. There's a guy, I'm sure many people know him. He shows up on Facebook a lot, Mike Crick. Oh, yeah. uh, I met him at the IHS meeting this past year. He lives in Flipping, West Virginia, which is hella dangerous. Um, <laughs> and now he is literally my dealer. Chris Chris Montrose used to be my dealer, but I got all the snakes that I, I, I wanted from him. And because um, I literally wiped out his Getchell collection, like he got out of Kings because Alabama has the rule that's about to go into effect. I don't even think he offered them to anybody but me because he knew it was pretty much guaranteed sale. So nice, uh, nice, But then after I got those, I was I was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy some books, and then Mike Crick absolutely knows the books I want, and he's he's dangerous. I can be like, hey, I want this obscure smithsonian contributions to zoology and he's like yeah i got four copies in my basement hold on which which price range would you like i'm like holy hell nice uh, so so yeah no so the, the book collection is, has grown exponentially over the past three years i would say excellent excellent yeah i love the, it. the books are actually driving my wife more crazy than the snakes because the snakes are contained but books are books so they just can go on any horizontal surface. So, <laughs> so like certain collections are in the dining room, certain collections are in the living room. Um, every bookcase we had, she used to have a bunch of ornamental things, and I feel kind of bad because the books have taken over, like the candles. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah,
0: but, but you, you know. don't. You can't learn anything from a candle.
2: You can't, and and I gotta write this Hognose Snake book. And I know that it's going to be underneath a microscope, so I'm just reading everything and anything to try to figure out what the hell the voice of that one's going to be. So, anywho,
1: nice, nice. You should write by candlelight. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I haven't written by candlelight. I I have written with no electricity. Ink and quill was the only thing generating light. So fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good. That's good.
2: Yeah. Ah. But no, I've been extremely humbled. Uh, Tinley was a little bit overwhelming. Um, Russ's table was literally right—like you walk through the main door and bam, right in the Russ's table. And um, Clint Bartley, who I do shameless plug, Colubrid and radio with. Yes, uh, he came over like three times and was like, "You look like a, a an angry gorilla." Smile. Because I was just completely overwhelmed with yeah. like, the sea of humanity That's just me in the face. Uh, and so I learned that um, it's a good thing I'm a professor because my customer service needs a little bit of work. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't that I was ungrateful. I loved every, you know, I was hor- horribly humbled, you know. But um, I was just kind of like, whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah." Th- there's people all the time, which was was pretty well, when you, intriguing for me.
1: When you have arguably... The, gr- the the current best podcast in herpetoculture it's difficult to not have fans just saying i
2: don't know if we can go that far But oh, we oh, i think we, we can we, we
1: both do okay, i, I will speak for smitty and say that Calubri Calubrid radio is probably the coolest most desired listening of herpetoculture podcasts on the market right now
0: i get very excited every time spotify notifies me that there's a new episode Thanks.
2: Clint and I are doing our best. Uh, it's funny because we were talking to Tinley and we're like, do we do we change the recipe or do we keep the recipe exactly the way it
1: is? Exactly the way it is.
2: Because it's working, you know, and I don't even know what the hell the recipe is. Just like you guys, I'm sure. You just kind of get on there and just let her rip and hope for the best yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but um, we we haven't we haven't had any moments yet where we have to like, you know, backpedal a little bit. The, the only moment we've had was um, we had a guest on our house snake episode. And I absolutely love the fact that she did this where she talked about how she tested herself for worms. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're doing fecals on yourself. You can be my friend. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but other than that, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate, but we've got some, We've got some guests lined up uh, i don't want to let the cat out of the bag but yeah no one of the things that that matt and i were very big on before matt had to go off to greener pastures is that we really wanted to it's almost like an oral history when and yeah. i never thought i'd be doing that i feel like i'm doing like herpetocultural anthropology like i just want to get you know Like we had Kathy Love on talking about Mm -hmm. starting up the corn snakes and I didn't quite realize, I, you know, I realized that Kathy Love was kind of the godmother of all corn snake morphs with Bill. I didn't realize that Bill and Kathy were some of the first people to do racks and how they came up with the way to heat them with the, like Mm -hmm. when I get those little nuggets, I I feel like, yeah, (laughs) man, this is, this is gold, but I want to get some of the kind of the classic names in colubrid herbiculture on. Uh, But I've just been so damn busy this fall that Clinton as well. I mean, he's only he hasn't even had his he's had his shop for a year and a month. I no year and two months. So Mm -hmm. he's got plenty of free time. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, but uh, our our goal is over the winter to basically get a couple people on um, and and their names that people will recognize. But yeah, and then also bring on new new younger folks as well. Yeah but try to yeah. kind of dance that dance between the, the generations. I, I think that's something mm-hmm. we've done. Absolutely. Pretty good.
1: So, yeah. You guys have done a great job of having veterans, you know, up and coming ro- ro- rookies that are up and coming, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people that have been hitting it hard for a few years and killing it, you know? Yeah. Doing a great thing. I'm, I'm halfway through Terry Burwells. I got to, I got to finish that. Yeah. 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 I finished I Terry. Great.
0: Terry's, a, yeah. Terry's a really good dude. Yep. Yeah, he is.
2: Mm-hmm. And then that's a great example. Cause initially, I thought we were going to be talking about like Boyga, um, Dendrophila, mm-hmm. Boyga Sienna. And then it was going to be, initially, it was going to be like half Boiga, half Baronai. And, and then he started going on about Cynodon. And I yeah. was like, when the hell is anybody going to record anything about Cynodon? So we just yeah. let it, yeah. you know, yeah. keep going. So now that exists, which is pretty cool.
1: Hell um, yeah, man. So hell you
2: yeah. Can't, you can't plan. You just have to let it, you know germinate yeah. and go where it's going to go. And that's what uh, Clinton and I have done. Uh, but we also mm-hmm. try to make sure it has some kind of repeatable structure
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: because that's, you know, obviously that recipe is working because it's it's reciprocating with people or people are getting it or I, I don't know, but Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So yeah. that's what we're going to do. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. But thanks Terry's, for
0: Terry's a, a fellow South Carolinian. True, true, so, that he uh he knows what's up. He got your boy, yeah. right? He mm-hmm. got, yeah, he got my pair of uh of greens. Mm-hmm. I, I because I got out of boyga when South Carolina was had a had a getting weird restriction on the table, and I, you know, I, I did it a little prematurely, but I got a pair of rhinos for those, and those rhinos are doing great. Uh, and those Cyania are doing great for him. Um, you so I have dating? that I have that Marco Polo app. I don't know if you guys have oh. ever seen that where like you send each other short videos. And I literally have that app just so because that's how me and Terry pretty much talk at this point. Is it's it's almost like <laughs> Snapchat. Uh, okay. but like, you know, we were just talking the other day because, you know, I listened to that episode and talking about the egg thickness on on Boiga and mm-hmm. um, you know, how thick the eggshells are on those Jans and I and like I just talking to him about what we had talked about with maybe it's a pH in the soil or the acidity of the water, uh, you know, that deteriorates that shell over the course of time that makes it easier for these babies to hatch. Like basically told him that whole synopsis of what, of what we were, you know, theorizing. Um, cause I couldn't put that all in text. It would have taken me like 20 minutes and four pages of, of typing. So sure. Yeah. Sure. Marco Polo action. And, uh, that's cool. I got to check yeah, that. out. Yeah, he's, uh, it's, it was a great episode. Again, I, I, Terry's awesome. I love everything he does. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, no.
2: I need another boy Eagle person. And I thought, Terry work. Hell yeah. I great.
0: I enjoyed the episode with Dan too, though. With Sheehan.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he, Dan, Dan's been to West Liberty at least three times. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. That guy's a machine, dude. He, he's in Philly and he'll be like, yeah, there's a show in Chicago. I think I'm leaving now. I'm like, oh, okay. <clears throat> I think I can be there by like 7 a.m. And he drives all night, shows up at our door. Um, wow. But he, yeah, and because he's willing to do that, he's also kind of dangerous for me because he'll go to kind of the New England shows that I don't ever get to go to. And then since he doesn't mind driving to West Liberty, he'll basically message me, hey, you want these kings? You want this? You want that? And it's like, I'm at the show. And Dan and I have very similar tastes. We hung out a lot at Tinley. So
1: that's good. Man.
3: You know,
2: I love Shehan and, and Stacy, his girlfriend needs mm-hmm. to get some props as well, because her lizard collection is in. Yeah. Dang. They've got some cool the stuff. stuff she has and she's producing
0: mm-hmm. like
2: insane. Her skink diversity could freaking teach my herpetoculture class when we do skinkity. Like it's it, it's nuts. I'm, I'm extremely impressed with everything she's doing as as well. It seems That's like cool. everything she gets, she produces. Like she's she got that magic touch. She's got that magic touch, man.
0: That's awesome. So. very cool.
2: Yep, yep. Was
0: well, there anything new on your end, Philip? No,
1: no, nothing, nothing to write home about, as they say. I started drawing designs to decorate the inside of my black box cages and uh i started to play around with some different types of foam because i just don't know like yes i could go by the, the expanding foam black pond spray and just shh, squirt it on the inside but i'm so afraid of messing up and then ruining my beautiful cage that i kind of want to like i wish i could i wish I could almost put something down like wax paper or something and do it. And then like peel it away. If I had to,
2: <laughs> I could speak to that.
1: Yes, please do. So,
2: number one, I can plug black, black box cages because yes, you that's, we, we had another company whose initials were a and P. And then I was tired of waiting until my child could get to high school to get the cages. Yes. But then we segued over to black box and we had them within when we ordered a lot, like, university money. I think we ordered 20. Wow. And we got all 20 in a month, which is wow. insane. Yeah, awesome. um, but then we do the same thing. In my herpetoculture class, people have to build backgrounds. And so about every three years, every enclosure gets a brand new background. Oh, so wow. what we have started to do is we go to Lowe's and we buy the cheapest, thinnest plywood we can buy. We scratch the hell out of it so that the spray foam can attach to it. Mm-hmm. And we essentially build an insert.
3: So
1: oh, okay.
2: It basically is a perfect mock-up of the inside of the enclosure. Um, and then they can do whatever the hell they want. And they're not actually adding anything to the PVC.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Are they doing just the back or are you guys doing the sides too? We do everything.
2: Back, okay. sides, bottom. Uh, we do a lot. I'm One of the things I'm really into right now are, are vertical features. So vertical hides, um, like making trees where they basically kind of go up in the corner of the enclosure. And then a a lateral branch comes out that is half coming down from the ceiling, but half on the ceiling. So it kind of mirrors the ceiling. But um, we've had a fair amount of success with the inserts. Uh, The only thing you have to do if you do that with spray foam is freaking spray foam and wood. It gets along and it doesn't, so you just have to rough up the wood to give yeah. it, you know, attachment points.
0: But that works great. Excellent. I'll definitely least, try that. Yeah, that was always the struggle for me with dart frog setups and, and the spray foam was like never figuring out the right amount to where it's going to expand to the exact amount that I needed to. And I always mm-hmm. overdid it. And so it's like I'd spray it and be like, that doesn't look like a whole lot. Add some more. And then I come in the morning, and like half the tank is filled with foam, and I'm like, well, "What the hell?" Having to cut away almost all of it, you know. So, so I end up wasting a bunch of foam. But
1: yeah, I think one of my other problems yeah. is I have I've been doing I've been doing these f- realistic photo backgrounds from PetBackdrops.com. Mm-hmm. So like picking the perfect picture that myself or a friend took because that's going to be my mo. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. a cage up unless the background has a photo that i took or a friend took right that's cool and uh cal <clears throat> vargas was kind enough to give me some locality specific mountain shots for some of the um marulas i've got and clobber too and it's trying to figure out the for lack of a better synonym, them the foam around the landscape to like mm-hmm. make the two blend and i'm just trying to figure that out and I decided to do I have a, an adult suboc that I want to get her out of tub so to speak and I I can't pick because we have so many, Smitty and I took so many rock pictures when we were in West Texas and it's like which rock picture do I really pick and you know it's a, it's a River Road yeah. locality so like I have the scenic overview of River Road with like the Rio Grande cool. but the problem is it, it's too, it's such a big wide shot and the cage is basically a cube. So it's like, do I do more rock? Do I do more valley? What do I do? But, you know, first world problems. But first world problems. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I took a lot of pictures of um, exposed rock where we, some of the, the DNR biologists in West Virginia and I get along really well. So right. I asked them, can you just tell me a general area where timbers come down to the road so I can just get some images? I don't even want to find a snake. Yeah. I just want pictures of the rock ledges to share with my students, and uh, yeah, I, I coming home from a trip to the Eastern Panhandle, West Virginia, and I took back roads and just drove to the waypoints, and then here I am taking pictures of what appears to be nothing, and and a couple of the yeehaws stopped and were like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, "Yeah, I'm fine," and they're like, Take "What are you pictures taking of pictures of?" And I was like, "Rocks."
3: <laughs> and nice. Like,
2: okay. Apparently, that's what you got to say. Scare a redneck away. Yeah. So, you know, usually they engage in conversation, but they were yeah. just kind of like, yeah, okay. And then bounce. Not
0: messing with that That's guy.
1: Fine. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I always, I always take pictures of, of habitat. Right. And we take pictures of like rock, uh, you know, falls and tullus and uh, uh, what do you call it? Rock cuts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But afterward, when I go home and I'm sorting through photos, I always zoom in to all the photos, hoping that I will see <laughs> some creature that magically poked its head out yes, right when I... Yep. that I yeah, it, I have yet to find an animal in my shots like that. But one day I will. One day I'll just be driving through El Paso and I'll be like, that's a pretty looking rock and there'll be just mm-hmm. an alterna sitting there.
2: Nice. <laughs> I did that with um, the prairie in Minnesota mm-hmm. and in Colorado for... Just inspiration for hog nose vibs, yeah. And um, it it the Colorado pictures. I you know I was just taking them. I wasn't like really framing it or anything. You it was focusing, like, okay, bam, on, yeah. bam, bam. As I was herping, yeah. and some of them are like very picturesque. Nice. Uh, you know, they could make like a nice mural in here. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I, good. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure that in those though. There's like a prairie rattlesnake for sure because they were yeah they they were very impressive the thing that uh, you know i've collected viridus not collected but observed viridus now in kansas and um arizona i collected near rodeo where the viridus and mojaves come together and form the hybrids which is really cool Uh, and then i I got them in um Kansas, kansas colorado and arizona new mexico and in colorado I was out with Rob Stone, and he basically was like, hey, they're kind of like landmines. Be careful. They really are like landmines. Like, the yeah. bastards don't move. And you're walking through that prairie where it's like shin high vegetation, and then you go to step, and there's – I mean, it is a land – like, it looks like a landmine. It's a disc. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: sitting there. Which, I mean, aren't prairies for – mo- aren't those considerably more high strung than a lot of other species, though? Or is that just yes. like subspecies? Yeah. When, when we were out there co-
2: – Uh, looking for the hognose, my, um, one of the professors here, Kinsey, she's my former student. Uh, So I've known her forever. And we were walking along the railroad track and we were walking up over the railroad track and she stepped on the other side of the railroad track and the the light was coming from, the sun was coming from the west. So if you picture the way a shadow would fall, there was about an 18 inch, uh, you know, space of black darkness and the frickin' pra- prairie had come up out of the sagebrush and was smashed up against the side of the railroad track because that was the only area where it was shady and cool. Wow. And uh, Guthrie stepped over it, and, like, she stepped, and we heard, and it struck. Like, there was no... Oh, wow. It was, like, bit, you know, buzzing, striking, same time. And it actually, she didn't get bit, thank God, but... um. It. I don't know if you've ever had this happen where your adrenaline like spikes. Oh, yeah. So you go like up and then you have the crash mm-hmm, and you get mm-hmm. nauseous and you can't like stand up and, and that totally happened to her. She just had to like chill out <laughs> on the side of the railroad track. Um But yeah, that was our introduction to prairies. Nice. And then I think that I found I, I hiked up the other ones and all of them were like I saw them first and then we get close and then Buzz strike. I've never seen that in a rattlesnake. Like,
0: you get a warning, but it's about uh, a half a second.
2: Yeah. No, they, 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 yeah, they're just like cracked out meth heads. Like, yeah. <laughs> just like, like timbers are very polite. They'll buzz and buzz and buzz and buzz. Mm-hmm. um, and, and they give you a fair warning, but these things were just insane, oh, which of it's, course it's meant that I love cool. them. They're one of my favorite yeah. rattlesnakes I've ever interacted with because of that. Yeah. So,
1: bouncing betties man bouncing betties mm-hmm. well our good friend lisa uh had a in-depth question for you i'm actually i was going to read it but i was like you know what, let me just throw it up on the screen and i'll let doc read it um
2: okay yeah <laughs> yes so Helicops angulatus is an aquatic snake um oh my god it's the end of the day and my brain is not working in southeast asia homelopsity that's it um and they are an ecological equivalent uh to the homolopsids, so the anatomy of a helicops is very similar to um anhydrous or uh there's there's a it used to be anhydrous plumbia but now it's a different genus but those kind of rice paddy snakes yep. if you will um but with uh with with helicops, they do crazy things. They can be viviparous, they can be egg layers, and they're the same species, which reproductively is nuts. And yeah. the reason why they do that is when they live in an environment where it's ecologically stable, they I believe it goes when they're ecologically stable, they're egg layers because they can get out and, and drop the eggs. And when they're in an environment that's not ecologically stable. That's when they have to retain the young and then go out about and then you know they, they basically keep the young internally so that they can ultimately go to where the water and the resources are and when they give birth the babies are going to be where the resources are Excellent yeah no wow. I, now, is
1: this a case of locality specific reproduction or mm-hmm. is this anywhere so like so the the animals at site a may lay eggs but the animals at site B are going to give live birth but they never cross paths.
2: I, I can't say that they'll never cross paths. Okay. But it, it's it's basically a population variation kind of thing. Okay. And then the other thing is, of course, there's some evidence with parthenogenesis that they can just like potentially produce eggs without mating. With xenodontines, that appears to happen more than we think. Um, okay. I've gotten one clutch of boiruna, the false museranas, and I am 99.9% certain it was a partho clutch. Really? Um because uh I told a student to put the male with the female and then he didn't because he was afraid that the female was going to eat the male and he didn't want to be responsible for its death. Valid. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I think that was a classic, like, I'm away at a conference and I'm like, Hey, put that male together, and he's like, Oh hell no. Yeah. These are loafman's precious babies. <laughs> uh so um, but then we got eggs, and then I found that out after the fact. So
3: yeah, uh, and then the it... eggs
2: crashed on us, which is also so. kind of indicative of a Partho clutch because they're not the most robust normally. Yeah, uh, but helicops is one that it shows up every now and then. Um, the only place that reliably has them is, of course, underground when they get like a Suriname yeah. mm-hmm. import or something. And there's been that's the one xenodontine that almost got its own chapter, but I was burnt <laughs> to a crisp. And was like, and I was also kind of like, holy hell, this like needs to end, Um, because that's just going to keep going and going and going and going. So yeah, yeah, that's they're cool. cool. Uh, Doctor Ford, he's Neil Ford. He um he's actually does a lot of herpetoculture uh, work. He's at UT Tyler. He recently retired, but he um did a lot of reproductive biology. Uh, He produced the first granite checkered gar- garter snakes, oh, wow. so, You know, but he's a professor like me. Um, but he did a fun study where he did what I need to start doing, where he was basically like, you know what? I need to go to South America because I can. And so yeah. he basically just went down and did a real quick study of helicops, where he um, bought a bunch of minnow traps, shipped them down ahead of them and then put them in the ditches around. I think it was a sugarcane field. And was catching like 50 to 70 a night. Wow. Like, wow, the density of these things can be extremely high. Uh, wow. so it's kind of shocking that we don't that more of them aren't imported. And I've heard that when you get them in human care, they do really well. Um, they're basically you just treat them like an extremely aquatic nerodia. Um, and you know, so I've decided the next time I see them, I'm probably pulling the trigger because I like aquatic snakes and somehow i haven't owned those yet so hell yeah hell yeah
1: yeah, uh, yeah. i uh i find that super fascinating with the, the switching between uh, eggs and live birth and there's certain the rule of thumb with saw scale vipers is the farther uh the farther west you go is where you get your egg layers and then when you go east mm-hmm. you get live birth but you're talking about different species but you may have the same species where you know, 1,200 miles away or 3,000 miles away is a different reproductive cycle. So I didn't know if that was similar to that. Um, it's fascinating. Basically, yes. Yeah. And,
2: and that's also a species that hasn't really, it doesn't have a an advocate or a champion taxonomically. Uh, and it could be that when somebody gets in there and starts dating around, that there could be multiple species, you know, hanging out underneath that name. Um, Very cool. Because it's a wide it's one of those things that's like across South America and you know, I fully admit to being on team split based off my education and everything I've done. Um, That doesn't mean I necessarily agree with the rat snakes. I will say that. but uh, Fair enough. But uh, I'm fairly positive that if somebody actually did what needs to be done with that species there probably would be some undescribed diversity therein that needed to be elevated, and it could be that the egg layers are one taxon and the live bears are another, but remains to be seen.
1: Very cool. So very cool. Well, I feel like we we've dove deep into the book. Um, in case people who are listening, <clears throat> excuse me. In case people who are listening who were unaware of Zach's new book, it is the natural history and captive care of false water cobras, barons racers, muosaranas, and other xenodontine snakes. Um, if you want to see a picture of it, there's a picture of it. It's got an awesome falsie on the front and a blue barons, and it's a weird looking bird. rhino. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, definitely hit him up because the book is incredible. Even if you don't keep any of these species, it is it is a book that you won't want to stop reading because it's tons of stuff you didn't know existed. You know that and what
2: i was shooting for yeah
1: and coming from myself that has either worked with a lot of these animals or kept a lot of these animals it, it's shit, i had no idea you know what <laughs> i mean and yeah. like having have, i never kept barons but like having kept a bunch of falsies and like being curious about xenodontines and loving the uh forgive me for not remembering the nomenclature um when and conversion evolution, there to mm-hmm. pull it out of my butt. The conversion evolution between some of the xenodon stuff and like caustus yeah. in Africa, and like looking at w- which one became yeah, a viper yeah, yeah. and one didn't. You know what I mean?
0: I never put those and, two together. Like I never connected those dots. And so
1: there was there's one xenodon that I can never remember the species name. Hold on, yeah, it's probably Maram. Maram.
2: I can't say it. There's too many constants. Yeah. Merim, no,
1: well, there's one that
0: the Wagneri and the Bathriopsis.
1: No, hold on, let me find it. The, it. I know the one that looks like Bathriopsis, but it's um, where the hell is it? Of course, I should have wrote the page numbers down because Lord knows I was going to open Damn the book at some point. Yeah, I know the um, where the hell is it? Um, right you got me. well, it, it's Silly superciliaris from South Africa. It's just a south american version and now i can't
2: Mara, remember mera mera <clears throat> 108 108
1: or no i flipped too many pages oh my god um no it is mm. where the hell is it oh wait hold on um the, and Severus is awesome, by the way. That Page one step. shot you got of the mm-hmm. head. 34. Okay. Uh, no, 115. 115, the uh, Dorbingii. Oh, Dorbingii. Dorbingii. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at that animal and just the head structure and the body type, and then you look at Proatheris mm-hmm. superciliaris, the lowland swamp viper from South Africa, dude, the convergent evolution is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Absolutely hilarious.
2: Dorbingii south american snake. right holy sh so i thought yeah. i knew the, the one thing that happens when you write a book is that you have to be as humble as can be if you go into it like i'm the expert you're gonna write a crap book of so course. i went into it thinking i know a little i need to know a lot so here we go but Dorbingi, this is a snake that flipping it it mimics both Rop's alternatus um the what is urutu. It? yeah, the urutu yeah. on with its dorsal coloration and its behavioral repertoire. When you engage it, like it hops and you know does the dorsal ventral flattening, and then if that doesn't scare you away from it, it takes its tail and goes blip and starts acting like a freaking Argentine coral snake. So it it's a double mimic and it's a mimic across venomous snake families. And I I was sitting at this desk when I learned that and. I believe I yelled some expletives and like stopped a kid dead (laughs) in the tracks in the hallway, (laughs) you know, but it was just like, Holy crap. Like I've I've heard of mimics, but like to have a dual mimicry system where you've got a viper, like which flavor is going to work today. Yeah. That was, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I, as a snake nerd knew that I could geek out about. So when I was writing this thing, I was on the hunt for every little nugget like that I could grab Sure, um, and that's why writing the book. I, I've said this now on several podcasts. Best thing I've ever done professionally. It was cathartic. It was like it was my nerdy Zen hour and a half to two hours a day, uh, and I, I, I am, I am incredibly happy to jump back into it in December with the Hognose book because I've been getting everything ready for it. Um, but no, that that you know. So yeah. It, it, yeah this was completely blown away by
1: that stuff that's awesome that's mm-hmm. and i can't wait to read more about that stuff like mm-hmm. i'm just i'm just smithy and i are both just like you man like you know you find that cool fun fact that just pulls things together and makes mm-hmm. you want to deep dive more and like just having done my own minute amount of homework on the on like the african stuff it makes me want to know about like their <laughs> the south american habitat like how yeah. close is it oh, God, and yeah. and then when you look at excuse me if you look at uh parallels on a map like they're damn near the same parallel just in a different hemisphere they are you know and so like that's fascinating absolutely fascinating
0: there's just so many species in south america and and asia for that matter that are you know you're never gonna hear about you're never really gonna see about uh, or see anything about you know and it's a lot of them have that really interesting stuff going on like yeah they're not brightly colored or they're fairly drab or earth tones and stuff like that. But some of them are, are just as fascinating as I, everything else. I have
2: realized with this. So if you think about, you know, the realm of herpetoculture there's, you know, everybody wants to go to Australia. So let's just put Australia over here and get that out of the way. And then there's a fair amount of people that want to go to Africa, mostly venomous keepers. It seems like really want to go to Africa, but then the ball pythons there, but I don't know if all, you know, well, we're not going to go down that path. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, Asia has its Asian rat snakes and and um, boiga. And so there's definitely a niche group of herpetocultural, you know, endeavors therein. And then obviously the Europe, Europeans have European rat snakes and all that. But you don't really hear people talking about, oh, I'm a South American snake keeper. Like, and I realized that when I was writing the, I didn't. You know, I like all the things from South America, um, but I didn't realize how, like, there's niche, and then this is niche, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And what was really interesting is it's not really written for a, a South American snake keeper. It's more like, well, Bear and I fall in there, the arboreal colubrid genre, you know, so there's a little bit in there for arboreal keepers. And then, obviously, tricolor hognose snakes even though they're not at all related to Heterodon, um, they're obviously part of the Heterodon you know, yeah. Hognose Keeper group. Mm-hmm. So like the Hognose Keepers of the world were into it. Falsies kind of have their own following now, which was nice. For sure. Uh, and then Museranas and lamprus you either keep those or you don't. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I realized that by writing the book, I wasn't really writing it for a dedicated geographical audience per se, but the hope was to yeah. make one. Like, yeah. you read it, mm-hmm. Then you're kind of like, oh, wow, I like all these things. And then maybe we can get some of these things in human care and bread. Like the Velvet Swamp Snakes are a great example of that. Like there was one clutch produced um, and they are doing fantastic. The babies that came out of that clutch took off. Uh, Glenn Brooks has some out in California. And I wish that would have happened before I wrote the damn book because those things have gone from like – hatching around this time last year, they're already pushing nine, 10 inches. You know, wow. I mean, they're, they're growing like freaking weeds. Yeah. No, You know, nobody knew that. So we have these snakes that are super easy to keep that are beautiful. And once we get them established, we don't have to deal with these worm ridden, you know, frog eating mm-hmm. nightmares, which is what they are Yeah. currently. But I, I could easily see velvet swamp snakes. If you want a bioactive with a snake, Erythra Lampris is where it's at man because they don't get big uh in europe they figured this out there's plenty of keepers that keepers yeah makes in bioactives and they're they're badass in that setup so anyway i, I just well, got a little ranty no it's it, it, it falls
1: it falls in man no. and i i was going to say is and this is i please don't think this is insulting at all but no. i feel like if this book had come out say 20 years ago or 30 years ago it would not be as desirable as oh, it is now because the, the yeah because the people now uh they're i don't want to use the word thirsty but for lack of a better synonym they're uh, thirsty for the knowledge of these niche species because in the past it was like oh we don't import from peru because everything dies you know and it's because they kept them on newspaper with a heat lamp right yeah. they, did, they didn't know any better they didn't care any better and now you have a place like peru that's shut off and we mm-hmm. want the stuff and the people that are very interested in in attaining this stuff it, this is a it's a gateway drug man i love it
2: <laughs> yeah it is kind of a gateway drug uh, i i found out that every snake group i've gotten into i got into because i got the book first yeah mm-hmm. like the king snake addiction that that would not have happened if i didn't have hubs's book and i
3: yeah.
2: you know the common yeah. king snake which yes. is you know no one talks about that book really that book needs to be talked about a lot more, uh, because yes, um, even if you don't like Methropeltis uh, but you know it—it it, it basically you can learn everything you want to know about natural history for Cali King keepers, all the locality information in there, and some of it's dated and some of the names have changed, um, but that's like a, been a that I had the the key to the kingdom. Then I was able to nerd out on the natural history, and then I thought, well, maybe I should get one. And the next thing you know, the bulk of my locality collection is um, there's so many king snakes; it's your living nightmare, Justin.
1: It is literally living nightmare.
2: (laughs) Yes, and my poor 15 year old his his chore is to take care of the kings, and I mean I cackle, but when you (laughs) open up a rack tub at head level with a king snake that wants to be fed it doesn't care that your eyes are not are are not mice or your nose like it it just come out you know um so he's got good reflexes now
1: and i think that's so cool that you mentioned brian because you can see his book's influence in your book oh yeah you can Mm -hmm. just with the the, do the maps you did the the um locality maps and everything and then doing one or two species per map and like dude <laughs> Brian's yep. all over that. The he influence is. is there. I love it.
2: No, love he, it. He doesn't know. I mean, I've, I've only conversed with. I'm talking like he and I are friends. Yeah, I've done the whole instant messenger thing. Sure, sure. Uh, but I'm totally fanboying with that book. Like, yeah. Um, the The only thing, and this isn't a criticism at all, that 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 like is a little bit bothersome is the book so freaking Black big White. that it's cumbersome.
0: Like the like, actual dimensions. Yes. yes.
2: Of it. Yeah. The actual dimensions. Like yes. it just. You know. So I um. Eric Burke talked about on one of the NPR episodes that he had this app where you could take pictures of the pages and then convert a book into a PDF. Yeah. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. So the very first, like I bought the app and then I went to my dining room table and I took the Kingsnake book and converted it into a PDF and I bought a Kindle just for that book. (laughs)
3: Like (laughs) I didn't have a
2: tablet. I don't, you know, but I was, and now I can, when I'm on an airplane or I'm, you know, now I can go through it and I don't have this giant textbook, you know, in, in my bag. Yeah. Uh but no, it's it's fantastic. Uh, I would not be
0: the like... King Snakes if I didn't have that book. Just yeah. not sure how I feel about the e reader stuff. I don't know. Like I I've mm-hmm. I've gotten a couple books in PDF form and I've you know, trying to read them on your phone is is especially difficult. Yeah. Because, yeah. because you gotta zoom in and then like you're trying to like read mm-hmm. the lines and you got, you know, the whole thing. Like Kindles, I guess is a little bit different because that's more geared towards that, but I oh, don't there's something about a, a tangible book. Oh
2: no, I am on yeah. the book one hundred percent. But in that case, I always wanted to read it while I was on an airplane. Yeah. And well, you know, I, I and by the way, I'm like six foot two, two fifty. So when I'm on a freaking airplane, my elbows can't go out this way or I'm hitting someone in the face. Uh, so yeah. having you're turn that, you're turning like, the pages like this. Yes. I can't even freaking type on an airplane yeah. uh without it's it's not pretty. Yeah. So um but yeah, i also like worked out great
1: i also like all my research papers that i that i download i always read them on computer because i can highlight them yep. and i can you know make notes and no different than you could if you had them printed in your hand but now if i just press one button the highlighter goes away or, or mm-hmm. i can copy and paste or what have you and it's brilliant um did you get the mountain king book too oh oh yeah of course mm-hmm.
2: Good. yeah Good. no i i bought yeah. i think like i said i've gone a little bit insane with the book collecting i think i wrote him an email and said put all of them in a box
1: yes so yes. i bought every <laughs> so single book he had it, a blank check did you get yep. uh dr connor's rattlesnake books too because they, they he made for a while hub put a, a like a package together and it was i think he had two books and then i think mm-hmm. dr connor had two books as well
2: i don't know if i have those or not
1: okay okay but it's like um, it, it, it's they're rattlesnake books because that's his, i, I like. bought
2: I bought the common King snakes was, wasn't with, which wasn't cheap. Yeah. And then I was doing what you said, like turning the pages at my dining room table. And then I was an idiot and threw it in my backpack and we went on a crayfish trip. Uh, And, um, the, the book got like slightly wet, but now it is
1: just enough to not
2: perfect. It's like at 95% perfection, but it's not perfect. So I emailed Brian and was like, I need another copy. Would you sign this one, please? So I have one that's like signed Oh, to me. that's cool. And it literally, it, it came into my house. I opened the box and put it right on the bookcase. I don't think it's left the bookcase. I that's think fine. it's been there. It's, you good. Know,
0: it's just there waiting, buddy. Signs. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so. And I've also explained to my wife that if I die in a fire, do not just tell somebody, here are the books, because I know yeah. you won't be able to deal with the animals but if you sell the books, you can probably put Colin through a semester of college
1: or, <laughs> or, or multiple years. But yes. By that time. So yeah. like,
2: please don't just, yeah. you know, offload them because they bother you every now yeah. and then.
1: I, uh, not to tell stories, but I, one of my favorite book stories ever is my late mentor was a major book collector and he had moved away to North Carolina, uh, before he passed. And, when he passed his widow asked me to come up and grab some snakes and, and that kind of thing. And I said to her, I said, Hey, where's, where's the books? Because I'd, I'd love to buy some of the books, especially since they were his, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if I had duplicates or they were cheap, it didn't matter. They were his. Yeah. And she's like, no, I already struck a deal with a guy who's a book dealer and, and I sold them all to him for one lump thing. And I said, okay, whatever. And then about two or three years later I was at a reptile show and there was a guy yeah. selling them books. And there was this one book mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, I like that. And I open it and it had his name written on the inside. Cause he had like a, he had like a library stamp because mm-hmm. I guess in this eighties, everyone would just trade books. So mm-hmm. he would library stamp his name in every single book. And I found one of his books and I bought it. And I thought that was that's awesome. pretty cool. So that's very that, cool. Don't let your wife just give him away.
2: Yeah, no, so, <laughs> so she, she knows not to do that. And every now and then, um, a book will come by. So there's like the Chimera New Caledonian Gecko book, and it oh nice, it came up for sale. And I was on the couch, she was sitting next to me, and I was like, See this? Look at how much this is worth. You know, yeah. I have the German version and the English version, so oh, that's cool. You know, that's very cool. Let's, let's, let's please not like the, the, the these are not just paperweights,
1: yeah. Yes, so some of uh,
0: those some of those chimera books, man. It's like uh-huh. a, a first edition book. Holographic Pikachu card or something, it is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah, anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nate asked earlier, Are you planning on getting more Paleosuchus for West Lib? And if so, would it be Trigonatus or Palpebrosus?
2: Paleosuchus, why am I drawing a blank?
0: Dwarf caimans,
2: oh, yeah, Trigonatus. Um, right now, the answer is no, because I have. 110 people including me in this major and i think uh there are 106 people who are not afraid of that little nightmare
0: <laughs> so <laughs> so Gee, i've uh, always wanted one i just I've never yes. had space oh it was me i wanted yeah to I, kids uh, but really- i'm not afraid of him
2: he is An angel straight from heaven uh he's very shy because he's a trig Mm -hmm. but when he's not shy he 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 has this neat behavior where he mock charges people and that just like makes people you know roll um i'm building a new building so i wrote a grant and and got like over a million bucks to grow to grow to build an appalachian aquatic conservation center that's what it's called And obviously, you know, Paleosuchus trigonatus has nothing to do with Appalachia. Uh, but it lives in forested streams. So it has a little tie-in. So there's going to be a whole bunch of Appalachian things and a trig Crayfish. in building. And he's going to get a nice big um, stream exhibit and, and, and all that jazz. And maybe that'll make him calm down. But uh, when we got that little guy, he was about, he was a hatchling. Um, mm-hmm. He was like, 11 inches long and he's not big now um but he's not small he's like two right. and a half feet but you know he still can be he can get up to four feet four maybe even five depending on which sex we have uh so he i have all intentions of um of building a, a little area for for it wh- where it can it can live its best life mm-hmm. but yeah we we um i'm real excited about that building i'm about to go full blown turtle here because i i had to pick obviously crayfish were going to be propagated in the building because that's part of my yeah. research effort but i was looking at all these other animals and if you know anything about freshwater diversity in the apps you no, know, the other two groups are everybody talks about freshwater mussels uh which is like keeping pet rocks but it is quite literally as close to a pet rock as you can get and then people do fresh or non-game fish so Darters and centrarchids and uh, mad toms and, and things like that. And I've kept fish, but there's a learning curve there. And I was trying to figure out like, what is the other animal that we can kind of specialize on? And then uh, some DNR guys were like, Hey, we've got a bunch of turtles that we intercepted at the airport on their way to China. And I thought, you idiot, why don't you do turtles for crying out loud? You're doing herpeticulture now. And so it's going to be a crayfish turtle building
0: <laughs> so Excellent. i think
2: i have the only crayfish turtle building maybe on planet earth uh but i'm, I'm really looking forward to um
1: hopefully you won't there. have the turtles and crayfish together yes
2: <laughs> no. uh there will be locks on the crayfish tanks because i can totally see somebody oh doing, yeah like feed the turtles some crayfish and then the federally listed <laughs> find not river crazy yes. head off to a turtle that would be a horrible horrible day and it will never happen so yes for sure uh, we are going to make sure that that doesn't go down but
1: i will say this i have a uh uh affinity for watching time-lapse mollusk videos
2: yes <laughs>
1: hey, like your pet yes it's a pet rock it is you're literally watching barnacles grow mm-hmm. until you watch it in time-lapse and you're like oh my god this is amazing
2: yeah no, yeah. unioned freshwater mussels. I mean, and we're going like way off the herpetoculture path here. But I challenge—they cool. are—they're—they are, they appear to be boring until you study their life history, biology, and their little babies. Their babies are little vampiric clams. They're called glochidia, and they've got big ass fangs and this like oral this this gut, and they basically have to get into a fish's face and its gills. Latch onto a gill and they, they're vampires. They are wow, they, they suck blood and they use the fish to swim up and down the stream to get them away from mom. So it's a super cool biology. Yeah. The way they do that is that they have these lures that look like fish. And if you watch some YouTube videos of, of freshwater mussel lures, that's when freshwater mussels become insanely badass because their lures look exactly like specific species of minnows and darters there's one called a rainbow uh that looks like a freaking crawdad and when it puts its display out it scuttles along the bottom of the stream just like a crayfish does and it's a flipping clam like this is you know and these things don't have eyes so it's evolution at an extreme and and, and that is very very cool Yeah, man. but most of them are extremely endangered they're very hard to rear. If you don't have any experience, I have this much experience with freshwater mussels, um, So I was just kind of like, yeah, no, I'm going to stay away. But turtles, I've kept a lot of turtles. Uh, so turtles is where it's at. So we're going to be rearing a bunch of turtles for like assurance colonies, which is cool. Very um, cool. And then we're going to be, hopefully if we can get some things in line, be breeding turtles, for release in sites that have been restored which is kind of what I think that is the ultimate goal I've I've since Zeusai has started at West Liberty in 2016 my ultimate goal was to do something where we are propagating an animal that is being released yes uh, into restored habitat and so I think we're finally going to be doing that you know, bring corn
0: snakes back to West Virginia <laughs> we,
2: we found them in West Virginia, so, and and they they were made illegal to keep, which is probably for the best. Um, right around the time where I was like, well, maybe a West Virginia locality for corns would be cool, and then the regs went into effect, and I was like, yep, that's not happening. Uh, but um, for a little while there, the regs were like you couldn't keep any corn snake in West Virginia, and then. Uh, the DNR guys realized how problematic that was. And they realized how many corn snakes there were in West Virginia and they <laughs> yeah. changed, yeah. they changed their regs. And now it, you, you, you can keep even normal colored corns as long as you can prove that it's a locality. So like Miami corns, mm-hmm. yeah, we can have those. Cause they don't look okay. anything like our right. population. Uh, so now you can keep corn snakes in West Virginia.
0: Very cool. South Carolina did that when they put their, yeah. their regs in place. It was like, and then they came back and were like, wait a second, there's a lot of colors and combinations here. Yes. So basically it was like anything that looks like a natural corn, if it's over 21 inches, you can't sell it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I
1: also, uh, you, may, you may not know the answer right away just because you're still constructing and, and developing this program, but I imagine having the turtles sequestered away from any other reptile is probably a big deal with the whole releasing them thing oh god because that's that's always something i've been terrified of and like people that know me like if i ever feel collect an animal from my own personal collection it's never going back in the wild because i i don't know what's dare i say living inside it you Mm -hmm. know what i mean some kind of pathogen from all ends of the planet that happen to be living in my room and although everything is alive and healthy and happy i don't necessarily want that out in the wild
2: no the the quarantine procedures for these animals is is next level. So, uh, before we can receive the turtles, they they get multiple screenings for multiple diseases. Uh, there's a disease called ranavirus, which mm-hmm. rampages through amphibians, yep. but it also creates like kind of like a COVID-like symptom in things like eastern box turtles. Oh. So you can do a quick swab no different than a co. well it is different than a covid test cuz you're not swabbing up the nose of a box turtle but um you're basically shoving up its bum and um doing an oral swab uh different swabs by the way <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh but you look for that there's um a myco mycoplasma is another one that you have to do uh oh, yeah. and then there's a couple other viruses i don't remember the names of them but and then the animals they go not just through one quarantine there's quarantine one, quarantine two, quarantine three, and then quarantine four. And each of those quarantines is a minimum of 90 days, not 60 days. So uh, the, the level of health screening that these animals are undergoing is kind of astronomical. Um, and the only way that we're able to do it is we're working. Uh, we finally became uh, what's called a safe partner with AZA. So that's saving animals from extinction. It's a- AZA changes their abbreviations about every 3 years they used to have ssps All right so have ssps but ssps have kind of gone by the side those were species survival plans now the new kid in town is is the safe program and so i'm not going to talk about what species we're working with because they asked me not to yeah. um but we're part of that now and and uh but that means we got to play by everybody's rules which we want to do but like when we received our first batch of turtles I had to find a whole new like not only a new place that didn't have any animals mm-hmm. but like a new building that didn't have any animals that will never have animals so it can function as what I think it's our Q3 or Q4 which is after they've gone through the multiple screenings and they've been in human care for at least 200 days like like the 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 criteria for this is, is um, it's intimidating I'll say that uh, but at the same it at time, least. it's it really is worth worth it in the end because they are ultimately, hopefully, going to make it back to the wild. So you don't yeah. want to be bringing something from hum, from the human world,
0: you know, out into the wild. So yeah, yeah.
1: it's fantastic, mm-hmm. fantastic.
0: Are there is there any new developments as far as on the like the crypto front?
2: Um uh, the the only new development on the crypto front is that I've started doing a lot of work at the um orient center for indigo conservation Central florida zoo mm-hmm. which ocic i know that phil has his own opinions of that place
1: yes 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 i do but you know your yes. friend your friend is doing the lord's work yes. so god bless him but
2: uh i can say that dr bogan who's the guy i work with probably wasn't there he was not there on the initial onset and he's now the director of it and he does really good stuff he's the president of um the American Reptile and Amphibian Veterinary Association, a mm-hmm. So like cool. this guy is crazy awesome to work with. And he's the most down the earth guy ever. Like if, if I lived in Florida, he and I would be best friends. Nice. <laughs> and when I go down there, like I am kind of like, I'll be the public face of crypto. And I talk about crypto. Um, I've done a couple studies on crypto. I don't really feel like I'm a crypto biologist. Dr. Bogan is a cryptobiologist. He has studied the living crap out of cryptosporidium. Um, and basically the the general consensus, my general consensus on, I'm not going to speak for him, is that it's everywhere. Uh, yeah. it's kind of like nido. I think it's insanely disingenuous if you have a large population of pythons and you got them from several places to think you don't have nido somewhere or serpentavirus whatever you want to call it right and and with crypto um it just it it the the newest development if there was a development that i would say is that my approach to it is very different uh in that i think it's all about stress management if Mm -hmm. you keep the animals calm if you can get them to a biology we call it homeostasis if we just basically get them to where they're vibing life is good you know, they're okay with their surroundings. We're not stressing them out. We don't get them into the physiological state that then allows the crypto to go from asymptomatic in the snake to symptomatic. And I I think if you look at people who actually have active crypto shedding, have the bulge, have the liquefied poo, have the regurgitation over and over and over again, there's probably a secondary stressor that's Mm -hmm. going on with that animal that you aren't, you know, you're, you're freaking out as you should because you've got this horrible set of you know right right of, of, of characteristics going down with your animal but at the same time there's probably a husbandry element that's out of whack that initiated that i also think that's why uh, and i've even had this happen this is why quarantining your animals is so freaking important but i have received animals that were long term captives um, when i got into the king snakes and they came in i put them in the quarantine and then they immediately start regurging and I talked to the person, and these were like well known people. And, and they basically were like, I don't know what's going on, you know, it wasn't doing that with me. And then I do my crypto test, and the thing has crypto. Uh, it, it was just asymptomatic because it lived wherever it was for eight years, right? It was getting mice routinely and had gotten accustomed to the room, and it knew, you know, the secondary stressors in that environment and had an idea what the hell's going on. You take that from there put it in a snake bag, shove it in a box, send it out through FedEx, it enters a whole new environment.
0: It's a little stressed.
2: We need a chemical receptor or, you know, a new chemical environment. Yeah. If we think about enough, it's like the chemical interpretation of this new world it enters. That's going to stress out anything. And now that it's stressed, boom, the crypto that's been lying dormant seizes its opportunity and then it becomes symptomatic. Yeah. Um, That, that I think, is the reality (laughs) of the I don't know, and I know there's people listening that are probably like, "I don't have crypto, and I got a hundred snakes." If you are have a closed collection, and you're not bringing in snakes, sure, you may not have crypto, but um, it, it is far more common than people realize.
1: Sure, sure.
2: That that's my soapbox on that one. Yeah, and I don't, and I've said this, and I've had some people message me. And they're like, oh, well, your collection must be like a crypto pit of doom. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't interpret it that way, people. Like, you know, I actually, if, if you are symptomatic with crypto, you go to the crypto ward um, or you are humanely euthanized in my collection. Uh, but that's if you get to the point that you're, you're you have symptoms. Right, um, right. You know, if you don't have that... Uh, it's good, but we've screened our collection here at the university. I can afford to do that, and we do yeah. research. So we did every freaking snake, and we did two or three tests. And then we did that in, like, the summer when everything's doing well. We screened coming out of brumation when they're stressed, and I think we had seven snakes pop that came back as negative in the middle of summer when everything was going great, and they didn't show any symptoms. Yeah. They were regurging. There wasn't any kind of liquefied stool. There wasn't a bulge in the gut. This was just a, we're screening everybody. Right. see. And sure. And we didn't, and, and all of the animals, we had snakes that we thought, okay, they're probably have it. And they have never popped. And then all of the animals that popped that time, we didn't think they had it at all. You know, mm-hmm. like, and some of them never left our facility and some of them we got from very reputable breeders and were in their own space and they were the only animals in that particular room that had it so yeah oh. but
0: yeah no but cri- is crypto
2: it's its own beast
0: yeah, i guess like the thing that that confuses me about the tipping point of something becoming symptomatic is like is it tied to cortisol the short answer like, is yeah like at the at basically what is it that That's letting crypto take hold. It's any kind of
2: increase in 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 stress, and I don't mean like the welfare is bad. I'm I'm talking about something initiates physiological stress. Yeah. Um. And so there's like three big triggers for that. One of them is a seasonal shift because you're you have a hormone exchange mm-hmm. uh, for like follicular development and all that. And in some instances you need a like, Oh God, it's cold cortisol. And then that hits the brain and then it initiates yeah a, a, a reproductive hormone cascade. Mm-hmm. And so that's where seasonality comes into play. Uh, the act of breeding is normally, it, it is very stressful for males when they're trying to get the job done. And then it's very stressful for females once the job is done. (laughs) Um, And that's going to cause it. And then another one is just growth. When you're growing, you're under physiological stress the entire time. And there's going to be some secondary pathways to to cortisol and cortisol mimics and things like that. And I think that's why the little snakes get it and it just wipes them out. Um, So, yeah, no, but – um, and and another thing I found out, which I can, like, set a record straight here. So there's a somewhat – now I would say infamous paper. I think it came out of Turkey or somewhere near the Middle East, Southern Europe. I don't remember exactly where, where they did a test where they took cryptosporidium spores, inoculated various things, and they put them out in the sun, and and they basically were trying, like – Freezing environmental sterilization. So they were freezing things, boiling sure. things, hitting them with sunlight. And they hit them with the sunlight and the sunlight made the crypto become inert. Um, and the net response to that was that, you know, sunlight kills crypto. And I have said on several podcasts, sunlight kills crypto. You have. You and have. It does deactivate crypto. It may not necessarily deactivate all the crypto. It deactivates a majority of the crypto, but um, if you can like use multiple mechanisms of sterilization, you should do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hit everything with 12 peroxide, um, that that is the only thing that's been proven to just wipe it like it, it, yeah, it doesn't listen to that.
0: Crazy yeah, how that strong be... that, that thing is! Oh, it's horrible, it's insane.
2: Indeed. Yeah, the first time I used it, I didn't understand that you could bleach yourself.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: and I looked at my hands and was like, Holy crap! Because they were like it, they were
1: chemical burns, man,
2: like as white as white can be. I've since found out that you can get it at a discounted price. I was buying it on um Amazon, and you could get the cheapest I could find it was four gallons for a hundred bucks, so it was $25 a gallon. And apparently, if you go to a carpet cleaning store. Really? Hydrogen peroxide is part of carpet cleaning, and you can get it cheaper there. So Interesting. uh, But I hit everything. If a snake moves out of a tub at my house, it gets peroxide. Then I hit it with bleach. Um, Then I hit it with ammonia. Then I hit it with Lysol hydrogen peroxide spray, so it gets another round. Then it sits outside in the sun for like a week or two, and then I deem it clean. And that's for something, I don't care if it has crypto, if it doesn't have crypto, if it could be carrying anything, that's going to wipe it out.
0: Yeah. So Basically, if it survived at that point, it deserves to be there.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kill everything else. And I well, don't and worry about because it's indestructible.
1: This, so. may be, this may be a dumb question uh, on two yeah. fronts. One, because of the size of the tools and implements that we typically use in herbiculture. But has anyone done like autoclave?
2: We do. Okay, um,
1: would that do? I mean, obviously, you're not going to put 24 inch chemostats in an autoclave, you know, or let alone have your own at home because they are relatively expensive. But I didn't know if that was a factor.
2: It's a mixed bag on what people say. Okay. I've read that the autoclave kills everything. Right. You've got the pressure, which then increases the temperature, yeah. which is like, you know, I've also heard it's a spore and spores are good at dealing with heat. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've heard if you get a freaking steam cleaner, which is not an autoclave,
3: right? You
2: know, steam cleaning can get rid of the spores. So it's like I am leaning more towards. It's certainly going to kill some of them. Yeah, um, some of the spores. And the other thing I think people need to—I didn't under Doctor Bogan actually, when last time I was down at OCIC, we were talking about this, and he explained something that I was like, "Huh, I never thought of it that way." Uh, when we're talking about like a total kill for the twelve percent. If if you use ten percent hydrogen peroxide, the weakest members of the crypto population are going to die with that. It's just to kill everything. You need twelve percent. So yeah. you're going to be killing something with boiling water. You're, you're going to. If you think about people, there are tough people and there are you know weak people. And this got First real hard go <laughs> But uh, uh, same thing with cryptospor. So, um, but. The goal obviously is total kill, so yeah. 100% of them dead, and that's where having that 12% hydrogen peroxide is the one thing that seems to get you there.
0: What about like microwaves?
2: No clue on can't that. Put,
1: can't put your tweezers in the microwave. i mean, <laughs> force them up in there and watch what happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I will, I will chime in with this too is that uh, there's a in herbiculture, we get trends of biological fear, right? Whether yes. it's serpentine oh, or crypto, canic. or paramyxovirus, mm-hmm. or what have you, right? And yes, yeah, I said the p-word, everyone. Um, I'll also say that learning or reading your animals, learning your animals learning some of the things that may happen to them or some 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 key things that are known to happen with certain species because of x y and z and every year we learn more and more and more but like for example on my road to suboc knowledge uh i had animals that regurgitated chronically and i was like oh my god i've got crypto and and i could just say is that people say that suboc bogertova subocularis transbagnus ratsnakes get that was for you jeff uh they get Chronic regurg from poor ventilation, from too high of humidity, yeah. from too much water bowl, and I didn't know this, and I was panicking, and I was like, so, long story short, read your animals, learn some of the attributes, and get a test, but yeah. don't assume that you have are spreading infection just because two snakes out of 20 are not doing well.
2: Yeah. And if you're really neurotic about crypto, our good friend Chris Painshop is very neurotic about crypto.
1: Yes, he is. Bless Shout out heart. to Chris
2: because yes. his collection is flawless. The tits. <laughs> so the tits. Uh, but I would say that one of the things that that that's worth doing is if you get the test, get the test from multiple labs. Um, there, there's Rawl, which everybody uses mm-hmm. in Texas, and I know the owner of Rawl definitely use Rawl. They literally are the first people. I think they are the first to come up with a test specific to cryptosporidium associated with squamates, which is lizards and and, and herps. Right. But there's nothing wrong with spending another $25 and getting a test done at University of Florida uh, because they're going about this slightly different, you know, mechanism, slightly different approaches, slightly different techniques. And if you get a, you know, if you get a negative from Rawl and you send it off to U of F and you get a negative from, University of Florida, you're good. If you get a negative from raw, you get a positive from U of F. You get a negative from U of F. You get a positive from raw, then, you know, okay. But if you're, if you're going down the testing lane, you're already investing. So you're already like committing the money, right? It might be worth it to, to incorporate a couple different labs because, sure. um, because it's only going to, you know, I, I can flat out tell you, we've had a couple animals here where we had scares and, uh, they were. Pretty high end animals, and I was like, "Oh God!" Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to accept a negative. Yeah. I know in the back of my head, i <laughs> will be like, "Well, that's all well and good, but it still has it because I know what has to hit." And we've used multiple labs, and I can tell you, just the piece of freaking mind you get from, well, Raw said it's negative, and the F said it's negative. There really is something that you know, maybe it is negative. Um. Cause we have a, 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 I don't, I don't care sharing the example. We have um Kentucky pine snakes, which were very near and dear to me because I was on the old kingsnake.com forum in the early 2000s when Will Bird and Phil Peak found the founding stock. Like I remember oh. on the field herper forum going through it one day and I was like, Oh my God, they found the pine, you know? Yeah. And, and so there was just a nostalgia thing with that. And then I'm close to Kentucky. And I was just like, I want these. These have to be in our collection. So I got them. And then sure enough, uh, the strain of crypto that we had here at the university was like DEFCON 4 for anything pitch office. Like if, yeah. if if it ended up in the vicinity of a pit, it died. Wow. And so our, our Kentucky Pines started to regurge. And I looked at the regurge. I was like, that is a very generous mouse. Like the kid gave this thing an extra large mouse and it needed a medium. So maybe it puked because of the mouse sure. size, but then, you know, I'm going back and forth because pitch office can eat very large things. Yeah. Um, And so I just immediately was like two crypto tests, one to raw, one to U of F go. Uh, and they came back negative and sure enough, things never regurgitated again since, and we've tested Excellent. the snot out of those animals and they're fine. Excellent. Uh, so. Excellent you know, that's the way to do it. But I think that crypto is the boogeyman of kalubra keepers. It will forever be. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, and there's, there's some other boogeyman coming though. There's a, um, you, you mentioned Paramyxo, uh, and then inclusion body disease. IBD. Oh, yeah. there's a, you know, Matt talked about this when we had the Matt is back episode. Yeah. There's one, there's a virus that's very similar to one or the other of those two, uh, that's coming it's in colubrid colonies in europe i know when that hits in america it's gonna be all it hits the right collection in america it could very well be here right now
1: it probably right person
2: gets it it's gonna light up social media and then just stand back and watch the show
1: yeah Um, there's also i'll even people aren't talking about it but there's a python virus that hails from i believe it's queensland called sunshine virus and it's named after the area that it comes from and it's been in python collections in australia it's been in python collections in the united states and it's been around for a little while but it's not as bad as say the standard nido serpento whatever you call it but now it is either mutated or now it's just had the ability to be exposed to venomous collections and there's a lot of big venomous people that have been losing snakes left and right because of this python virus that has affected uh, pit vipers and crotalids And especially some of the venom producing facilities for pharmaceuticals, they're losing animals and they're trying to, they're trying to contain it and they are containing it. But I imagine that that's probably going to spread as well in the next two to three years, maybe five years, you're going to hear more about sunshine virus.
2: So the the moral of the story is just quarantine, 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 quarantine. Yeah. So yeah, I have a very, very, very loving, tolerant wife. We've mentioned her a bunch. We have Uh, the quarantine room is my son's bedroom and then but then I get new animals in and one of the things zoos do is when you bring an animal new animal into quarantine quarantine starts over for everybody oh yeah and uh I was like god damn it we're at like day 70. I was like (laughs) I don't want to start this over yeah and so my wife has this like little nook upstairs and I tried to use my fancy degrees to figure out a way to hide some snakes and tubs in her little nook, which is supposed to be the one snake-free room in the entire house. And of course. I can't hide shit for shit. And so, <laughs> you know, I got the message. I actually got a... I believe she sent me a photograph and was like, what the hell? And I was like, quarantine, honey. So... uh, But, but that's the other thing is like, just making sure when you do the quarantine... You actually follow the rules of quarantine. Like just saying, this is my quarantine. I've noticed people do this. So all new snakes come in there. Well, then you bring the new snakes in with the old snakes that are coming out. They get the damn virus, the bug, the mites, the whatever. And then you move them into the collection. You're like, I don't know how this got here. Yeah. Um, Having multiple spaces for the quarantine is very important.
1: Yeah i'll even go so far as to say because i just i just moved my whole facility room whatever you want to call it this summer and i went from having essentially three spots in the house to just one room and realizing okay i had tools in this room and i had tools in that room and by tools i mean snake hooks hemostats probe sets whatever i took color electrical tape and 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 Wrapped it so I know okay if I'm using this these animals get the green electrical tape and these animals they get the blue electrical tape and you know when the electrical tape gets crappy for me washing them or whatever I peel it off and I put new but now I'm literally washing my hands between rooms Mm -hmm. and not cross contaminating equipment because we think okay I'm going to use the green tweezers to feed these and the blue tweezers but I'm still dipping them in the same sink of rats. In the yeah. same bowl of, of frozen thawed rats. And I'm literally cross contaminating it, it without even realizing. So, little things like that, in my opinion, can yeah. really make or break you.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah. Now, I, I have um every rack in my garage has its own set of hemos. Uh, and then, what I started doing is that you were talking about the common rat bucket. I, I have a card I bought on Amazon that goes with me everywhere. And I thaw out all the rodents and now I know how many tubs are in each rack. And so I just, before I even feed anything, I make piles. <laughs> so there's a pile of rodents that equals however many tubs are in this rack pile in this. So there, even when I'm going to grab the, the, the food, I have dedicated hemo's and a dedicated pile of rodents. So that I'm not dipping in because when I had my crypto scare at my house, I went like down a neurotic pathway that wasn't healthy.
1: Of course. Of <laughs> course. It was
2: just like overthinking everything. And then I thought, all right, now take a step back and just be reasonable. And how can you mitigate something? But the problem is if you have those mother effing forward flies, you oh, can do yeah. all this to, to hell and back. And it doesn't matter because the forward flies are gonna go from one tub to another tub to another tub to another tub. To another tub. And, yep. and they are absolutely the vector. Like, there's no, no question. And they're not just a vector for for crypto. Right. They're a vector for everything. Everything. Um, every single thing. Um, and and they are they are horrid creatures. They're. I don't like. I don't want to nuke all the mosquitoes on planet Earth. They serve a purpose, but all the freaking forids can die. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, yeah. like they are the worst. Uh, They are the thing that gives me uh, heartburn when I like open a tub and uh, I just got off a 10 weeks travel and I had a freaking um, Mexican hognose snake regurg or it didn't eat a medium mouse. And then, of course, this happened. I fed two days before I left. I was gone for a week, so that damn thing was in the tub for
3: like yeah. nine days. And yep, I had yep, a, yep. a
2: fly explosion. Yep, and I was, yeah, that wasn't cool. So, um, yeah, keeping tabs of the damn bugs and and the fly management, I I would love it if somebody would dedicate their life to just figuring out how to kill them in mass. I, I've I've bought, I've I've heard people talk about the damn. The fly traps, the gluey traps, I don't think that those really, not for they force. work, but they don't no, work. Work. For, the only thing for that force. works and it's disgusting that I found is that I take, I dedicate a mouse and I just, I take a um, Chinese food container with the plastic lid and a soldering iron and I burn some holes and I just throw the mouse in there and accept the stench and create what they want more than anything which is they want a dead rodent and uh that wipes them out it also is really hard for the people you live with to deal with uh if Kathy yeah. leaves for a weekend my house is going to smell like death i just set those things up everywhere to just catch you know even if i don't have a mite explosion just to get rid of as many of them as possible and i don't have like tons of them but if i have one of them that's one too many so yeah. I'm just yeah. trying to get rid
0: of them. Um, Jeff earlier asked, any thoughts on the rumor that tokays often carry crypto in reptile collections? Given how many uh, of those are are brought in,
2: I think that tokes are, are getting a bad rap there because I think, based off the PCR's that people have done with wild animals, there's so many strains of crypto mm-hmm. that any wild caught snake. Or lizard or turtle, turtles get it too, um, has the potential to bring in crypto. We we did a, a, a fun study here. So, you know, I'm a taxonomist, I describe new species of crayfish, and um I understand how you do the molecular genetics and all of that. And so I have, but I can't do the molecular biology. Like I'm I'm a troglodyte, I flip rocks, I catch crayfish. That's the extent of my technology. Uh such a vivid have,
1: word, troglodyte. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I I have people that that do that here that are really good at it. And so we took, when we had our, our infamous outbreak, I've talked a lot about back in 2019, 2018, uh, I took some of the poo from our Blacktail Cribo that was pure liquid and we PCR'd it. And we actually were able to do the thing that Rawl and U of F does. And we got the raw data that they get. And so I was able, since we had the data, because you can't get that data from those labs. Right. Um, it's proprietary. If they give you that, then you know their secret. Uh, but we did it here. And when we blasted it, that's where you take the genetic sequence and, and you blast it in this place called GenBank, where good hearted biologists put the genetic sequence for like certain genes of every living thing. We got back in our snake. We got back Cryptosporidium verinae, which is not the one that's supposed to hurt snakes. We got Cryptosporidium serpentes, which is the one that's supposed to get at snakes. And then we had Cryptosporidium spa one, Cryptosporidium spa two, Cryptosporidium spa three. There were seven different species of crypto. So, like, everything can get its own strain in theory. So the Tokei Gecko strain, that's just one of many.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I don't really think that Tokei's bring it in any more than um, uh, uh, sun, sunshine snakes? You know, anything else, right. What, what's what's the snake that everybody, you see at the reptile show, that Sunbeam snakes. Sunbeam. Go. Yes, the, the classic yes. reptile show import. Yes,
3: yes of uh, course.
2: You know, they, they're bringing in crypto, the... Toad headed to gammas are bringing in crypto, um, so, you know, there's lots of things bringing in crypto.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: that's my theory well, on not that.
1: Not to n- not to switch gears, but I definitely want to go back to the book if we can. Sure. So let's go. Uh, I want to know personally your favorite part of your book. Oh Jesus! And don't just be like, oh, the false water of corporate section. No, <laughs> um what was what was the most captivating thing for you to put into the book that like really really stood out in your in your mind because i mean there's there's a ton of awesome stuff and i'm sure you were giddy as a school kid the whole time right but what was the one thing that really stuck for you that was like man i'm so happy we got that
2: probably me sucking it up in the 11th hour and writing the Erythra Lampris chapter if I had one. Because I was done. I was done. And it was nagging at me that I had the um, yellow-bellied Lyophis, is what they're called in herpetoculture. I had them at the time. They've since passed. Um, and I was just like, I, I just felt guilty. I don't know what else to say. Like, you're, you're, you're settling too soon. Like... You, you owe it to these animals to throw that chapter in. But I also knew the taxonomy because each each chapter, if you don't have the book, there's a big nerdy natural History systematics chunk and then there's a big nerdy herpeticulture chunk. Uh, and I knew that the damn taxonomy of that group was nightmarish because it's the largest it's one of the largest genera of snakes in South yeah. America. Mm-hmm. And I had tried to address every taxa. So I knew right off the bat, can't do that with this one because it's just going to get too ad nauseum boring. So I just focused on the species that were taxonomically, sorry, that were in herpeticulture. So I did that, but um, I, I did that. And it's also special to me not to get like sentimental and corny. Yeah. I mean, that's, hard, wife... that's the
1: heart of the question.
2: You know? Yeah. But my wife had, um, we had a big scare with calf and she had a, a large tumor on her pancreas, which is like the last thing you want a tumor on. Yeah. (laughs) So, and she had to have a pancreactomy, which is where you remove, like, I think she lost two thirds of her pancreas. Her spleen is now gone. And so I, she got that in, in Morgantown, which is where West Virginia university is. It's about an hour from here. And I told everyone at work, like I will be with my wife in the hospital until she leaves the hospital. So y'all can just, deal and she had that done in april and so i basically frantically tried to get all the pubs and then i sat in the hospital with kathy read the pubs i talk about it in the acknowledgement section but it was just kind of cool that you know i was there with kathy i was working on the book um it was an important part in our lives because we got rid of that mother effing tumor so she's still here and then because she knew I was having so much fun riding in the hospital. She thought it'd be a good idea to eat a piece of pizza, which introduced a lot of fat, which your pancreas gets rid of. And then she promptly got pancreatitis and then spent oh. another 13 oh, days geez. in the hospital. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> and and that was the scariest hospital visit that I've, I've had because pancreatitis is no joke. That is rough. Um, so, uh, but I was there and, yeah, you know, When she would sleep, I would work. Uh, and so I just know where I was when I was writing that part of the book. And it was, a, it, it was like, I refused to quit. Like the world was throwing bombs at me. I was on the fence as to whether I was going to write this chapter anyway. And I just kind of gutted it out and got it done. And in the end, if there's anything the book could potentially contribute to that would be new to herpetoculture, it would basically be like, People reading that particular chapter, us getting some of these things from Europe, and then them becoming part of American herpetoculture, because they are wonderful, wonderful little snakes. Awesome. That that would be it. Um, And then if there was something else, it was that first chapter, because I wrote that the first version of that first chapter would have put everybody to sleep. Like, (laughs) I wrote it like I was writing a journal. Yeah, And and you get rid of all the fun nerdiness and all the adjectives. It's not meant to be fun. It's meant to be like business, like not business, but um, succinct and to the point. Yes. And I read it and was like, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I did not hit the target. And so it took me like just so many attempts to kind of get that voice. I didn't know how important it was. I, I, I didn't know how important it was to like, when you lock in with your mind, say mind's eye, but your mind's voice. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And you've got it. You can't freaking lose it. Like, you know, and that was really hard. Like I didn't write a freaking, I didn't write anything about crayfish for a year and a half. I basically was like grad students go. And so (laughs) they would write the crayfish pubs. I had a postdoc that was awesome. Um, he was right in the crayfish pub, so I'm still relevant in crayfish land, which was important. Yeah, but I I just got that voice and was like, I can't let go of this.
1: Yeah, like,
2: man, because ch- it took a uh, long, way longer than I thought to get there. That, but it's that awesome. Was, yeah, so I don't know. I hope that answered it. Yeah, absolutely,
1: uh, man. That was more than I was expecting to be honest. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's like it's passion, man. I love it. Yeah, it makes oh, no. the book that, well, that much thing better. Thing is,
2: I I. Wanted to write the book that I wanted when I yes. was in college. When I was 20, that's the book I wanted. Like this is what I wanted to read. Yeah. And and um, and I was just like, Well, I'm in a place to do this now. Uh, and I needed some street cred on the herpeticulture side. And so I was like, Why the F not do it? Just do it.
1: Yeah. so I mean, I don't and think you is- need I don't I don't think you need any street cred. You are street cred, my friend.
2: Yeah, in academia, you need street cred. In A Z A, you need street cred. Yeah, but they are fuck those
1: guys. They, <laughs> I can't say that as the guy, I know, I, just know. My I major. I, but anyone, anyone, who's AZA is listening, I'm joking. I'm joking yes. about AZA. Uh,
2: but lie. no, so you know, and I don't even know if this gets me street cred in those circles. Uh, but I don't really care. There's a book now. Yeah. Yeah. I a will say one of thing book. though that it did teach me. Um is, is that like I kind of feel like I found what I'm supposed to do with the second half of my career uh like the first half of your career when you're an academic you have to do you 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 have to fall in line and be one of the ants marching and you can't do the fun stuff you want to do yeah because that's how you build your reputation and if i were to do this when i was fresh out of my phd i don't know if i would be able to get any funding and i have to get funding because in the end i've got to support student research and i did that you know i i wrote the journal articles i played the game i schmoozed with the grants i swam in the bureaucracy um and so i'm established now but i don't really want to do that for the rest of my life this was like fun and cathartic and zen yeah i'd much rather do that than write a journal article any day absolutely so no uh so I, i have every intention of i'm pretty sure there will be a book project every second of every day i've I've got them lined up in my head. Like I got to get Hognose done. Then I got to get this crayfish book done. And I'm going to get them both done by 2025. Cause I can't, um, it doesn't mean the Hognose book will be out in 2025. That just means it'll be done by 2025. Yeah. But I really want to do a Florida King book. I don't know if anybody will buy a Florida King book. Yes, they will. <laughs> but, um, but it hubs did such a good job. I've thought like relentlessly, like what the hell am I going to do? That's any different. So that's the problem there. Uh,
0: that's then been my, I, my crossroads, too, because I've I've been tempted. I've tossed around the idea of, of doing something on Baird's. Yeah. But it's like, is there really, There wouldn't be a whole lot. It wouldn't be a very big book. Like, okay. would it do, well, I, don't, is, I don't think it know?
2: matters. I think that herpetoculture needs as many of these things as possible.
0: Yes, I would agree. I, and, I, I,
2: I think that this is what legitimizes us, in a, in a manner of speaking. I'm not getting, like, snotty here. The opposition that's making the regs, they all, for the most part, maybe not the politicians, but the wildlife biologists, they all come from academia in some way. And if you write a book that can show the world, like, I understand snake biology, I love these things, and I'm championing them, that's where herpetoculture goes crashing into the realm of conservation, and and it's really hard to shut someone up, like or, or to say you're not legitimate if you're literally on the right. same team, you know. So um, that that's one of the art, one of the angles that I was like, huh, and I I didn't realize that until it was done. Like that's great. I, I didn't, yeah. But uh, oh, I also want to do a dry mark book.
1: Oh hell yeah! Um, one of my favorite reptile books that I own is called the diminutive the diminutive giant it is on the dusky pygmy rattlesnake citrus yes. malarius barbari mm-hmm. it's only on the subspecies yeah. dusky the mm-hmm. book is realistically maybe a 16th of an inch thick it, mm-hmm. it, it is on the verge of being called a pamphlet yeah <laughs> but it is awesome
2: i have that one and you are correct
1: it is i think you can find it online it's like 12 dollars yeah. on amazon or something mm-hmm. but anybody who's into rattlesnake uh, evolution and Rattlesnake Ecology, just, just buy it and, and just have it because... Yeah. And I, I don't remember the author's name, so forgive me if, if that person listens to this, but that person did it. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. And now people like us that are really nerding out on that, we have that. So if Smitty wants to do a, a book on bear's rat snakes, and it's only a sixteenth of an inch thick, who cares? It's it's there, you know? So...
2: No, I I... I... I and then another thing is like self-publishing. I I looked at that initially and was like, eh. No, I mean, I, I will publish lots of books with Russ. Russ is my Russ and I are buds. Um, but there's a couple I probably will just go off and it'll be like a nine month project just to get it out into the ether and then it's out. Yeah, if, if you know what I'm I'm saying. Uh now quality and control is important, you know. I think that. That's where the peer review process comes into play.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: I'm not, I, I try to be an open book. Marco O'Shea just like ripped this thing because he's insane and keeps a list of every freaking living snake that's up to date. So some of the names were, were, uh, were old. Now, I'm going to say they were older. They, they were like, there were papers that came out within three years of me using them, but there was a paper that came out within three months that that mark knew so that guy is next next level (laughs) so but having him review it and having other people review like i think that if you write one of these books you have to be okay with giving it to somebody put your ego aside and make sure it's done well because if the original version would have gone out uh people would have still loved it the husbandry was great but there were definitely mistakes and I'm not a snake taxonomist. Many people think I am. I am not. Um, I like play one on YouTube, but that's about the extent of that. Uh, <laughs> but having a snake taxonomist review a book that's so systematics heavy best thing ever. And then being okay with him telling me how to spell behavior because I spelled it the American way and he insisted on it being spelled the European way. You know, th- that's stuff you just kind of laugh about and, and accept it. But making sure that all the taxonomy was correct. That was super important to me. Oh yeah. Um so the vetting process is is something I think that people have to have to be willing to let their work go through. Uh and, and being okay with it. Like yeah, yeah, which
0: I mean, like for me, if I put something, it's it's doing it to get it's just like with the magazine, you know, it's like it's doing it just to get the information out there. Like it's not it's not really about yeah. me or Phil or Billy or anything like that, you know, it's like tear it apart if you need to like just as long as the information's correct you know yeah oh yeah yeah and and i don't think you get enough props
2: for the record there sir for putting out the magazine when when you did it now that it's kind of when it's like active as needed state is that mm-hmm. you know yeah. you, you did horticulture a massive service you did as well phil helping with it like Thank you. I'm I'm upset that I never got to the point where I could pump
0: out an article.
2: But now it's open. So who knows?
0: Never too late. Never too late.
2: No, I have an article rolling in my head. It's more like an editorial. Um, And I I want to write something. It's going to be snotty as hell. And I don't want it to be snotty, which is, is herpetoculture a hobby or a discipline? Um, Oh, yeah. And I, I really want to explore that. (laughs) because <laughs> i think it falls on a continuum yeah um but yeah, if we're going to be taken sure. seriously it better be a freaking discipline because it's really hard to when i mean it's literally in the word discipline yeah, yeah. You know what i'm saying yeah so i feel like that's a good way to fight opposition is to just basically be like look what i'm doing here
1: yeah dude you know? when 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 phil leets used that word on one episode like a year ago with with him and and, and roy I was like, "Oh my god, discipline! Like it's a discipline, like it's like the emoji with the with the atom bomb head, (laughs) dude." That was, that was it. (laughs) Yeah.
2: When I went on their show, I talked about discipline. Like, I talked about it as well. Like, that's something that I that's a soapbox of mine. Um, And every time I say like, when when people refer to it as the hobby, I I feel like I'm being an arrogant. I'm up in my ivory tower with my little pinkies out. Um, But I also, (laughs) I I live and breathe with the people, the wildlife biologists that make the regs. And I've literally had them say to me, well, I mean, it's just a hobby. And if that's the perspective, whether we like it or not, that you've got to fight that. And there's super easy to fight it because what a lot of people are doing, I would argue goes so far beyond the term hobby, yeah, mm-hmm. thousand like, percent. You know, I, I think it's just we're shooting ourselves in the foot and being very disingenuous, just being like, Well, the hobby, yeah, you know, so yeah, and rant, Because awesome. I can start talking now and go another two
1: hours. It's that's cool, that's, good. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> good. that's why you're here, <laughs> yeah,
0: awesome. I awesome. want to know after your last episode with Terry. There was, yeah. it wasn't even touched upon. Like it was, it was mentioned and it was glanced over. What, what the hell is this? What, 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 what do we got going on here? Is it coming up yet? It's being I've
1: seen, uh, oh, it's up there. I've seen that picture. Well, the, not the rear fang picture. on the Rhino? Yes, yes.
2: Uh, it's because they have a rear fang.
1: Bum bum bum. Yeah.
2: What what? Rhino rat snakes are the anti-rat snake. Rat snake. Um. That is one of the reasons why them being in the genus Gonosoma or Jonasoma or whatever you want to call it. And and I don't. I can't remember their former genus. So. Rhincophis. There you go. Yeah. I I've got some. I got some issues there. (laughs) We all do. Yeah. Uh. But no, that is absolutely an enlarged opistoglyphus. I too.
0: was feeding. Yes. This was like taken a couple weeks ago. Like I was feeding my adults, and I was watching her eat, and I was like, what the hell is that? And every time mm-hmm. she, she opened up, I was like, what the hell is that? What am I looking at? And I took pictures. I was like, yeah. Well, so wild.
2: one of the crazy things about rat snakes is that rat snakes are always used as the anti opistoglyphus." colubrid group, because they don't even, like, our North American species don't even have a freaking Duvernoy's gland. Like, there's nothing. Uh, and I can't remember if they have one or not. There's a couple species that have enlarged back teeth to kind of work prey back, but it right. just seems like every time anybody you have to kill the snake, kill the snake, and then you do the histology, and then you look. Kind of like what they did with Komodo dragons back in the day. That you end up finding that there's glandular tissue where there should be a gland. And the next thing you know, boom. Oh, wow, look at this. There's a sort of kind of maybe venom gland there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, you guys yeah. just mentioned it with Terry and it was a very brief, like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, maybe this is a thing. And then, just yeah. Like, back well, to bear I mean, it.
2: I finally have to concede and I don't like to, but I've now <laughs> heard it twice. The story about the rhinos eating the bear and I. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and just so you know, if you look,
1: oh, did the we lost his audio. Yeah, we lost his audio. Say that one more time, Doc. You're, you nope, he's nope. muted or something. Something unplugged.
0: Does it articulate? Uh, no, I don't believe it did. It was static.
1: And I don't know if it showed through, but uh, Jason Hood's in the chat, and he says, "Great book, Doc." Yeah, we're not hearing him.
0: Well, all. now you're actually. It says you're muted. Oh yeah. Uh, now
1: there, there we, we go. Up. There right.
2: it is. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> um, but but no, I got rhinos again because my rhinos ended up in South Carolina.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. They're yep. doing great.
1: Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
2: Good
0: stuff. Never tell you guys yeah. how much I love those things.
2: I think you have maybe a couple times. Couple, couple times.
1: Couple times. Oh man! Now, what I always thought was too is that there's um, and I could be mistaken. Someone like uh, Scott Ipers in the chat, he may know this, but there was a paper a long time ago. I can't remember what it was, and neglectfully, I regrettably, excuse me, I didn't save it. But there was someone doing the study on. Multiple minute salivary glands, much like Gila monsters have the venom glands in the lower jaw and basically saying that to make the desired saliva cocktail, you had different glands producing different things. And could one of those be construed or deemed a venom gland despite not having a bona fide delivery system? And I think I'm pretty I don't know if rhinos was one of them, but like that strikes me as an animal that could possibly have multiple different, quote unquote, salivary salivary ducts or glands. Mm-hmm. And one of those parts of the cocktail would be considered a venom gland or duvnoise or what have you.
2: I mean, it's um, it's totally positive. Yeah. The reality of this is that there's well over 2500 species of snakes. Yeah. And like there's so much crap we don't know. like yeah and and we won't know it for quite some time so i would not be the slightest bit surprised if there's some kind of peptide in there i mean the i i can't do chemistry to save my life but there's some pretty easy tests that we can do here at the school just to be like is there a protein in the spit right yeah and if you have a protein protein makes an enzyme And now I have rhinos. So I could see grabbing a pipette one day, slurping some up. We did that, you know, and then just like, is there anything in there? You know, uh, but then again, most saliva has some kind of enzyme in it. Mm -hmm. So does that mean it's a venomous thing or is it just, you know? Yeah. But once again, we did that with with the falsies when I first got them. And uh, (laughs) they, um, we did a test that showed like different, uh, so when you have proteins, proteins all weigh a little bit more or less than each other because you're adding more amino acids to it. So more right. complex protein weighs more, a less complex protein weighs less. And so you can kind of do some fancy chemistry and, and deduce how many proteins are in there based off of the weights of the molecules. And just for funsies, the molec peeps were like, hey, we need to do a protein assay. Do you have anything? And I was like, do I come <laughs> down here, child, with your pipette? And we like, yes, <laughs> but false water cobra. And they're like shoving the pipette up on its fang. And I'm massaging where the Duvernois gland would be. And that test was amazing because we got like, I mean, it was like immediate fluorescence. Wow. Um, yeah. So I thought about it for four years. We did it four years ago. And for four freaking years, every time I see a kid with a pipette, I go back to that place. Nice. So who That's knows? Awesome. Maybe we can do it for the rhinos here. I'm back, pipette boy. There you mm-hmm. go. They have
0: graduated, and they are now in med school. Nice. So, <laughs> I, it's like I look at that, you know, that picture, and, and watching them that day, and it just makes me wonder, like, for rhinos in particular, like what what does that, where would that serve them? And it's like, is it fish when they're little? Is it birds? Is it, you know, lizards? Like what? Yeah. Natural history wise, like what would what would call for that in that well, species?
1: The, the photo right there, it's hanging upside down for crying out loud. You know,
2: I think it's all the above.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, and at the very least, there might not be any proteins or any kind of venom. And it could just simply be, yeah. this is what I use to grab onto a lizard when it's trying to get the hell out of my mouth. Yeah, as I'm slurping it down because I can't constrict and kill it because it's a lizard.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, I don't, I've seen, dude. I've got a one of the smaller. I have a small male, and when he grabs, he wraps it. I don't have really any of the other ones. They don't really grab and wrap it, but that male in particular, he he squeezes the ever loving shit out of it. Uh, but then watching the the neonates grab those rosies in the water bowl was really interesting too i watched them do that one day and the speed at which they grab those and eat them is is insane like that fish is is in the water one second and and down its gullet you know within five mm-hmm. and it's it's really surprising because you would think that they would have a very hard time grabbing those things and and eating them but they no, no effort like whatsoever it's wow wild very cool. i tried to film it but every time i I have some in there, like they don't do anything. And then when I leave the room and come back 20 minutes later, they're all gone, you know? So it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I'm watching, it's not going to happen. If I'm I'm not in the room, they will, yeah.
1: And uh, Scott says that the paper that I was most likely talking about with the dissection of salivary glands was from Fry et al. in 2008. If anyone wants to, oh, okay, Google that, yeah, it's a Fry paper, yeah, Yeah. he loves that stuff. So, well, boys, we're at the two hour mark. Is there anything we want to touch base on?
0: No? I don't think so. Well,
1: no. I'll hold the book up one more time. Selfless plug. Uh, the Natural History and Captive Care of False Water Cobras, Baron Racers, Musaranis, and Other Xenodontine Snakes by Zachary Lofman, PhD.
2: Thank you, Phil. Uh,
1: I, forward I do feel that you by Marco Shea. Yes. One
2: thing. I had a couple people bust my balls on the incredibly long title. Uh, according to Russ, it is important to put as many keywords in this title as possible because it's such a niche book yeah. <laughs> that um, if we don't put False Water Cobras or barons Racers or musaranas or Snake or Xenodontine, when you do a search for it, you're just not going to find it. So, All about
0: that SEO, man. You got there it. You go. That's so, it.
2: For those wondering why the book has a title that is almost maybe in excess of 10 words, that is
1: why. I also feel like on a side note, maybe this is just me. So many people know what those animals are, but if you put the book that just said you know, Dipsatidae, no one would know, or yeah. most most people would not, but they know what those yep. animals are for sure. So
0: Yep. Because Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince or the Prisoner of Azkaban <laughs> is completely acceptable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um I met Russ at Daytona and I, I talked to him briefly. I thought that was that was pretty cool. He's he's a pretty nice guy. Yeah, Chat he's with super briefly, nice. So.
2: No. And I guess the only other thing that I would like to talk about and I might have even talked about it but I'm I'm burnt cuz this is my first day back after a week and I got hit with a lot of problems that weren't problems and problems that were problems. And I had to deduce which pile. Yeah. Yes. Triage. That's correct. Uh, We still, (laughs) we're doing this out of like Russ's house. This is not being done with Amazon. This is truly a passion project. If you have not gotten your book and you ordered one, there's about 20 people. Um, We had a lot of people buy the book and then they didn't give us an address. So we can't ship the book out, but then you bought it and we couldn't yeah, get, get a hold camera. of you.
3: Yeah. And
2: now I'm starting to get some messages like, Hey, where the hell's my book, which is valid. Yeah. But if you're listening to this and you fall in that camp and you're being nice and you're not bugging me, bug me. Cause as soon as we get your name and your address, we ship the book out. Yeah. Uh, you know, Russ and I are both home now, um, for a while, so we can totally get them out. Uh, so just please, 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 uh, let me know.
1: And, and for people that we'll go from didn't there. <laughs> and for people that didn't know the book even existed, which I think is crazy. Cause everyone here loves you, but oh, thanks. Where, what's the easiest way for them to purchase said book if they haven't got it the is super yet?
2: simple. Okay. As long as you have access to social media, you simply message me. I can, I can tell you, I tell everybody this, there are, there are three messages that hit me during the course of my day that bring a ray of sunshine to my life. One is anything to deal with snakes. One is anything to do with crayfish. And then that's the people that are interested in the book. Uh, because I am, now that I'm an administrator, I have to deal with people. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So <laughs> um, so I'll drop everything in the middle of a meeting and be like, well, I have to take this call. And it's, you know, <laughs> someone sent me a picture of a ringneck snake. And I'm like, that's a ringneck snake. Nice. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, but I normally message people. I am Horrible at typing on a phone. Uh, My right thumb does not bend properly. (laughs) Maybe that's too much information, but I cannot type on a freaking phone. So sometimes I wait until I'm back at my computer and I can just crank it out, you know, faster, but you will certainly get a message within 24 hours. And if there's people listening, like Scott, if you're listening, we can get one to Australia. I asked Russ. Um, we've sent a bunch to Europe, uh, Ironically, it's apparently a little easier for us to get them to Europe than it is to get them to Canada, which I don't quite understand. Uh, but you know, it's bizarre it's a thing. And yeah. I believe we finally got some down to the people in South America, which was I was really pumped about that. That's cool uh, because uh, they were uh, they were just amazing to work with. So yeah, um, so we can get it pretty much anywhere. The only place that we that Russ is having problems getting it out to so far is south africa of all places hmm. so um we're still working on that one but if you're in the states it's easy and then i have a I have a handful of copies that i am sending like i've had them since tinley i just haven't held still since tinley yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i have to like i'm mailing them out actually i think tomorrow um because i i booked a an hour and a half just to get them out uh, the door so uh Excellent. But yeah, no, now is a good time to do it because Russ and I are, are down. We're, we're not going anywhere for a month. So it, it should be a, you order it as long as we have your address, we ship it right up that maybe even that day. I can't speak for us, but within 48 hours, I think it's safe.
1: Awesome. cool, Very cool. Yes.
2: And yeah, I just want to thank you both for having me on. I uh-huh. think this is my first time on this one. I've been on THP a handful of times. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, no. Pleasure's all mine. Very humbled, and you two are doing the Lord's work because I love your podcast. So there you go. You're
1: you're all the right. ins- you're the inspiration, Bubba.
2: Oh, okay. I, I think you're going
0: a little too far there. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but, you are. Anyway,
1: <sighs> well,
0: this episode was brought to you by BlackBoxCages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Go find the giveaway they are currently doing. Sign up for it, enter, uh, and then hey, give them a follow. Use code THN to check out if you're buying yourself a racker cage. Uh, they have a new heat panel that is made in Italy now available. I think the um, what's the name of that brand? I want to say it was something different. Like it, it recently changed. It was it was called one thing and now it's called something else. Um, okay. They look nice. They're like all metal construction. Um, they look they look legit, so go check those out. Uh, full apparel fullvisaapparel on Facebook and Instagram. Also use the code THN at checkout. Get 15% off your order for listeners and viewers like you. Uh, got some orders going out in the morning. Got some stuff I got to print tomorrow to send out. What's today? Monday. Send out Wednesday. And uh, Order some order some shirts. Uh, Puget Sound Pythons, check them out. Follow them on Morph Market. Stay in the loop with what they got going on. Good people, we love them. And uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, they they vend a handful of shows up that way. You can't miss their table because it's the the blue and like turquoise. I don't even know what color exactly you'd call it. To me that's Seafoam It's Seafoam That's not Seafoam Seafoam is way more green than that But Regardless You can't miss them Um, And then we'll be back for THP on Thursday So We appreciate everybody We'll see you later
1: Bye Bye y'all